As always, it is a privilege and an honor to share God's word today. And I am so grateful to be here and grateful that all of you, that we get to share it and uh, just break open God's word, which is a firm foundation to stand on in every season, in every age. Oh, it's his word, church. It's his word that's under our feet, that's holding us up. It's keeping us. It's propelling us forward. It's his word. So we're in a season. Christian, can you help me uh, with the first slide? We're in a season to step up. Yes. And uh, when I say step up, I don't mean sign up for more activities. I don't mean sign up for more stuff. Because if I went around the room here, we're probably already doing too much. Right? I mean, our schedules are already overwhelmed. When I say step up, I mean to step up out of the busyness a little bit and take a step up back to the upper room, to the place of influence that the early church had, and to recapture, I think, some of the character of the early church. I don't want to copy the way they used to do things or try to reinvent a move of God that was written about before, but I do want to recapture some of the character and the influence that the early church had. It's what we need today. And kind of our key scripture for this season, for this, this season of time that I think our, our church is in for these, um, these few months uh, is a season to step up. And the key scripture is from Acts chapter 2, verse 42. If you can all shout it out with me, I have it on the family Bible in red, white, and blue. No, it's not. There's nothing patriotic about it. But let's read it together. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. That, in one sentence, covers the influence and the character of the early church. And what we find from those two things is that true spirituality requires fellowship, and that true fellowship is Christ-centered. If you look at that list, there's actually only two things, not four. There's the apostles' teaching into fellowship, and then there's to the breaking of bread and prayer. And what the Lord showed me about that is, is that when we follow the, uh, the lifestyle that Jesus modeled connected with his friends, and we follow the model and the lifestyle of the apostles he commissioned of the early church, we find that a true spirituality requires fellowship. There were no vagabonds, lone rangers, and free spirits in the early church. The culture around them did not support an isolated faith. It was too hard. It's easy for us, but it's getting harder. But true spirituality requires fellowship. And that true fellowship has Jesus at the center, the common meal, hanging out together. It wasn't saying, don't break bread together, don't don't hang out, don't have fun, pray only. No, it says, to the breaking of bread and prayer, hang out, share meals with each other, 
Be in each other's homes. Go hiking with each other. Go to the beach. Go wherever you're going to go and enjoy God's creation and the things that he's made available here. Enjoy it. Just don't forget that Jesus is at the center. Don't miss the opportunity to pray with one another. Don't miss the opportunity to talk about what really matters. It's okay to talk about baseball when the Dodgers are winning. Lord, it's been a hard season so far for this Dodger fan. It's okay to talk about baseball, but don't miss the chance to talk about Jesus and pray together and worship together. It's the character of the early church. True spirituality requires fellowship. True fellowship has Jesus at the center. So to recap, and what we're doing is just looking at how the Lord birthed his church and what's some of the things that we can learn about that, that we can recapture the influence and the character that the early church had. So part one from last week, if you missed it, was there's something in the waiting. Everybody say that. There's something in the waiting. Yes, there is something in the waiting. And we talked about um, just the fact that when Jesus reappeared to his disciples um, after he was raised from the dead, right? This is a miraculous thing. He's coming back. He is raised from the dead. And he spends 40 days appearing and proving himself to his disciples and retelling stories and talking and preaching about the kingdom, right? He's talking about the kingdom. In his earthly ministry, he talked about the kingdom, and his disciples were still thinking, okay, when is he going to take power away from the Roman emperor and restore that power to the holy seat of Israel? They kept asking him that. They kept asking if they could sit at his right hand, and they kept wondering, you know, and every time he said, he started forecasting what was going to happen to him. They were like, no, this can't be so. They didn't understand it. They didn't comprehend it. And finally, he had to say, no, get behind me, Satan. This is the power that I must take for the joy set before me so that I can break the curse of sin and death in the earth and reclaim for all of you communion and relationship with our heavenly father. No, I must get there. And so then even after he got there, he comes back to the church, back to his, excuse me, back to his friends, his disciples, and he starts talking about the kingdom. And in Acts chapter one, uh, verse, his disciples still are saying, so finally, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom? to Israel. They're still thinking after they witnessed his crucifixion, after they witnessed that he was raised from the dead, they're still thinking the same way as they did before. And so what did Jesus tell them to do? Yes, you're going to be my disciples. Yes, you're going to Trample on serpents and scorpions. Yes, you're going to make disciples all over the earth. Yes, you're going to baptize people in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. He, he gave them the great commission. But the first thing, even after that, they're, they're still talking to him about what they, what they were waiting for him to do, which was to take power over from the evil emperor in Rome and give it and place it back where it rightfully belongs. And what did he tell them to do? He told them, get your eyes off that. Get your eyes off of where you've been thinking. You're you're still in a paradigm. You're still in a mindset. You're still in a worldview. 
and you've witnessed some great and amazing things, and yes, you know that I'm the Messiah, but your thinking is still that that Messiah fits into my worldview. And he doesn't fit into our worldview. He destroys our worldview so that we can have his kingdom view. And so he says, turn from your worldview. Turn from that thing that is keeping you from identifying and seeing the kingdom and turn and face the promise of the Holy Spirit and go wait. And we talked about what happens in the waiting. When we turn from where all the things that are confusing that we've been waiting to happen that aren't happening, the things that we want the Lord to bless, everything the way we want it to happen and what we want to do, and we say, okay, and the Lord says, here, turn and face the promise and wait. And what happens in the waiting is that the Lord can do in us what he wants to do through us. The Lord can purify our motives when we wait and we behold him, the one who makes promises and the one who keeps promises. When we face the promise, the Lord purifies our motives. Waiting also reveals where power comes from. When we have to wait on a promise, we are openly telling ourselves and everyone around us, it's not in our control. It's not our power, it's his power. And so when we behold the promise, waiting reveals not only that there is power, but where power comes from. And it keeps us out of all the difficulties of keeping and hoarding glory for ourselves. Because we can't really, my, I don't know about you, but my character can't really handle getting much glory. And the last thing is that waiting allows for God's timing. Jesus didn't tell his disciples, you're going to wait, and on the day of Pentecost, I'm going to pour out my Holy Spirit. He said, go and wait for the promise, and in a while, I will pour out the Holy Spirit. He didn't set the timetable. He didn't want people counting down days. He said the days and the times aren't for our concern. They are held in the Father's heart and in the Father's good time. I promise you, his ways are higher than your ways. Amen. Higher meaning higher. <laughs> yes. And so, yes, when we wait, we allow for all of the other things and the ways that he's working in our lives and in the lives of the people around us to all get to a place where he cares for everybody and leaves no one behind. So waiting purifies our motives. Waiting reveals power and waiting allows for God's timing. So I want to pose a question to you. What would have happened if the disciples never left the upper room after the Holy Spirit was poured out? Because the streets of Jerusalem at that time were not a safe place. It was total unrest. I mean, the crucifixion of Jesus seemed like a controversial event when we look back on it. I can guarantee you it was more controversial in the streets, in the time, in that city, in the time of day. And not only after he was crucified, there was, the veil was torn, the, the, 
the sky went black, the earth shook. And not everybody had a Bible to read and say, oh, that's what's happening. No, it was in real time. And then he was raised from the dead, and he starts appearing to people, and other people that he brought out of the grave started appearing to them. I mean, this is crazy stuff. And the, the, the high priests of the day that had turned him over to Rome to be crucified, now they're wondering, what did we do? Where are the Jesus followers? What, this is, and the Roman occupying force, I mean, they wanted to squash a rebellion. The streets were not safe. And for most of the church, even today, the, church, the streets are not safe. So I want to say, what would have happened if the disciples hadn't left the upper room? Let me just throw some things out there. They would have found themselves longing for how things used to be when Jesus was around. They would have had frustration because nothing else was happening Now, they had received the Holy Spirit, and they had received an outpouring on that day, but if they hadn't left, they would have been waiting and then gotten frustrated why nothing else was happening. Have you ever been in that place? I tell you, I have been in that place when we were back at the old building uh, out by the airport. There was a season for a few months where I really got confused about... I mean, things weren't making sense at my job. Um, I didn't feel like I was hearing God's voice. Like, I, was, I really felt confused. So what did I do? I, I went up for prayer. I went up for prayer. And uh, how many of you remember Stan Smith? Mm-hmm. He, I, I love Stan. Yeah. What a prophetic and kind and gentle man of God. So I went up to him, and I, I explained to him what was going on. And uh, here, Richard. So, yeah, you know, I told him what was going on, and he says, okay, okay. Puts his hand, and about, I don't know, a minute goes by, and then I hear, (laughs) 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 and he looks me in the eye, and he says, Jeff, what is the last thing the Lord told you to do? And I thought about it, and I thought, hmm, well, a few months back, the Lord spoke to my wife and I about having manna bags in our car to give to homeless people that we saw. And my wife had made them, but I never put them in my car. And uh, he said, go home and do that. So I went home and did that, and it's amazing. As soon as you do what the Lord showed you to do, he's right there again. The Lord, the Holy Spirit was not playing hard to get with me. The Lord, the, the, the Bible says the spirit of the Lord does not contend with men. He is a gentleman and he has all the time in eternity. So when he gives you something to do and you aren't doing it, he waits. Until you do it. I don't know who that's for. It was hard for me to hear that word that day. It was really hard. But if you're in a place where you cannot, do not feel like you are hearing God's voice and you feel confused, I would extend the question 
that I believe the Holy Spirit asked me through Stan. What is the last thing the Lord told you to do? And when you find that out, go and do it. Something else, maybe they would have made endless attempts to recreate the exact formula of the activities they were doing to recreate the outpouring on Pentecost of 33 AD. Maybe they would have developed a doctrine around numerology of waiting for a certain number of days for certain things to happen. Or maybe they would have just been constantly looking back instead of ahead. You know, for those of us, when we get too afraid to leave the upper room, our confessions of faith begin to sound more like wishful complaining than joyful declaration. Because we might have been filled or touched one day, but instead of leaving the upper room for the streets, the neighborhoods around us, where the very people God longs to reach with his love and power through you live, we back away and say, maybe tomorrow. And those tomorrows turn into months, maybe years, even decades, until the neighborhoods around us feel foreign. And we begin to disguise the frustration we feel over our own powerlessness as disgust with some cultural or political direction. I would say we would be a lot less frustrated with our culture and the political direction if we walked in more power. We are frustrated because we don't walk in power. And so then we complain about the way the world is around us. If we're honest, we are frustrated because we don't walk in power. The upper room was never designed to be a destination. The upper room is a launch pad. Every move of God was birthed in an upper room. This one was birthed in the actual upper room, but every move of God in every age was birthed in prayer. It was birthed from the secret place. It was birthed from the upper room. But no move of God stayed in the secret place. No move of God stayed in the upper room. The move of God is for the world and for the city that you live in and the neighborhood and your friends and my friends and your coworkers and my coworkers. That's what the move of God's for. You were baptized in the Holy Spirit for a purpose. And like a candle, you are beautiful in your own right. But you cannot separate your beauty from your purpose. A candle's purpose is to provide light and heat. Your purpose is to be a witness that Jesus is the Son of God. And that the promise of the Holy Spirit is for all people, everywhere. And that communion and relationship with our Heavenly Father is for us all. It's the good news of the gospel. It's the story of the kingdom. People were saved because the disciples left the upper room. People were healed because the disciples left the upper room. People were delivered because the disciples left the upper room. The Holy Spirit was poured out to be a river and not a lake. Yeah. 
Do you know why the Dead Sea is dead? It's not because there aren't any streams providing new water to it. It's because there are no streams leading out of it. We're supposed to be a river. And I want to talk to you. I know uh, I'm going to try not to be boring. Thank you, youth, for uh, putting up with me today. Wyatt felt that this message might be widely enough applicable that they could sit through it, and I really appreciate it. I will try, I promise, try not to be boring. And I'll only go 15 more minutes. Okay. All right. So I want to talk about um, just a few things. The concept of next versus new. So if you think about all of the way ministry was done prior to when the Holy Spirit was poured out, it was done in the temple. You went to a place to receive a blessing. God himself, actually, it was the place where people went to meet with God. And because God is holy, he actually had to carve out a holy place in the world contaminated by sin, and people had to go through extensive preparation just to enter. So much so that they tied a rope around your leg that if you went in and you hadn't done the preparation, they could at least get your dead body out so that you wouldn't stink up the temple, the holy of holies, right? It was all about God, you know, quarantining a place for his holy presence that we could come and draw from that. And so, but when Jesus broke the power of sin and he took death by throat, by the throat and extinguished its grip, the veil to the holy place was torn, right? And so the next thing, the thing that would have been in the same paradigm, like we've been talking about, like the disciples had this paradigm of world power and what Jesus was going to do, and Jesus said, no, look at this promise, and so that I can do this work in you, right? That when the veil was torn, the next thing would have been like the disciples to put up a sign that says, All are welcome here. Come and repent, receive salvation, and the promise of the Holy Spirit, right? It would have just been a sign, and anyone who came by, right, anyone can come in. But the new thing that the Lord was doing is I want to say that the veil was not so much torn to allow more people in. The veil was torn to let the presence of God be unleashed in the earth through the church. He was saying no more is the temple a place? The temple is you. I can go anywhere you go because you've been born again. You've been regenerated. You're a new wineskin that I can pour new wine in. The veil was torn to unleash his presence out, not to allow more people in. That's the new thing. And so let's take a look at some aspects of this new thing that was happening in the streets right at that time because Peter came out and he started speaking to the crowd and he said three kind of, he said three, three things to the crowd and it takes up most of Acts chapter two. The upper room Pentecost is actually only like a few verses at the top. Most of that chapter is about these three things that Peter said. The first thing, it says, Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. 
These people are actually not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. By the way, that means they were having a good time. That's, that's what that means. People looked at them and they're like, if you can imagine people stumbling in the Holy Ghost out of a Holy Ghost party, that's what it was. I mean, they were looking, they were full of the joy of the Lord. It wasn't weird and wacky. They were full of the joy of the Lord. They were having a party in the Holy Ghost. And they were proclaiming the gospel in all languages that were present there. Miraculously. People are like, are these people drunk? He says, no, that is not, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. And he goes on to finish the Joel's prophecy. But I want to say the new thing here is that the promise is for everyone. The paradigm of ministry before this is that you go to a rabbi to receive a blessing. Even Jesus, when he walked the earth, right, people flocked to him and came to him. Even his disciples, his friends, right, they supported the ministry. They administrated and coordinated the ministry. Sometimes they got in the way of the ministry. A few times they stuck their toe in the water and dabbled in the ministry, but it was about Jesus. It was about one man walking around, walking in this power, right? And the society of the day was a patriarchal society, right? Women did not, were not in a place, were not given, especially in the church, were not given a place to speak. Children were not spoken we're not allowed to speak unless they were spoken to. And so what he's saying right now is in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all kinds of people. Your children whom only can speak when you speak to them, your sons and your daughters, yeah, they're going to prophesy because they're going to be filled. My, I'm going to pour out my spirit in them. It's not an age thing. Your young people are going to dream dreams. Your old people are going to dream dreams. There's no age that can disqualify you. There's no gender that's going to disqualify you. There's no class that's going to disqualify you. It says, even on my servants, even the people schlepping trash out of the streets, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. He's saying all the ways that you've disqualified people and made it around this one person, and even today in the church, we make cults of personality out about individual pastors and leaders that we think, ooh, they're so anointed. Yes, they are. I'm, I'm not saying. But this is saying I'm going to pour out my spirit on all kinds of people. You have been qualified to receive the new wine. The next new thing, it says, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth, of Nazareth, Nazareth, I can't, <laughs> Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you. That means that God proved he was the son of God because he had nice words to say and he philosophized because he was the smartest rabbi in the world. 
because he had all the right pedigree. No, he was accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as all of you know. You saw it. This was in the streets. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it, exalted to the right hand of God. He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. The new thing is that as Jesus did, so will you. The way God accredited that Jesus was his son through miracles, signs, and wonders, and the power of the Holy Spirit that he walked in, so will you. So will the church and the earth. That's how God will accredit you and me and us because of the promise of the Holy Spirit. It's not that we have to go somewhere to somebody else. It's that God will pour out his spirit on you and through you. As Jesus did, so will you. Can you remember Jesus saying, all the things you've seen me do, yes, you will be able to walk in those same things and even greater things because there will be so many of you filled with the Spirit. When Jesus walked the earth, there was one man filled with the Holy Spirit. Today, there are millions. Greater things. His church is alive. He is alive. And the third thing that Peter said, he said, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. All Israel, meaning not just Jews, but Gentiles. Everyone be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Have you ever been asked a question like that? It wasn't because Peter planned all this great stuff to say. They received the Holy Spirit and they went out into the streets, just as they said, and they started to talk to people. And the Holy Spirit filled them and they started, people started noticing, wow, you can speak my language and wow, there's the joy of the Lord and like this all doesn't make sense. And they'd say, okay. And he, now he gives, them, he gives them a message and an explanation in the moment, in the voice. And people say, what? What should we do? Have you ever been asked a question like that? And Peter replied, what all of us know, we know the gospel, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you. I want to say, the promise is for you. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. 
Those who accepted his message were baptized. About 3,000 were added to their number in one day. That's the power of God. It's not having us all having the right things to say and us have pre-planning out this, you know, amazing conversation that we want to have. It's about walking in the promise of the Holy Spirit. And when people ask, what should I do? What should we do? When people ask, we give them the gospel and the promise of the Holy Spirit. That didn't happen in the church. That didn't happen in the sanctuary. We keep inviting people to church. The Lord is inviting you to their house. (laughs) Ministry moves out. The Lord has invited you to that person's house. The Lord has invited you to your kid's school. The Lord has invited you to your workplace. The Lord has invited you. You're there for a reason. We're here in this city for a reason. What do I want to ask you is, what new thing is God doing today? I'm not looking for another Jesus people movement, although I am greatly impacted by it and I'm grateful for it. I'm not looking for another evangelical movement, although I'm grateful for it and greatly impacted by it. I'm not looking for another charismatic renewal, although I am grateful for it and honestly, I wouldn't even be a Christian without it. I'm not looking for another word of faith movement, although I am grateful for it and greatly impacted by it or anything else that has come before. I'm not looking to recreate anything. I want what the Lord is going to do new today and tomorrow. And I don't know what to call it. I believe a couple aspects of it are that one thing the Lord showed me is that um, The Holy Spirit is doing a unifying work in the body of Christ, in the church around the world. And that when I meet people and I talk to people that are part of a different church or a fellowship or a different ministry or something different, and he gives me a picture of a bridge that I'm supposed to walk over it, that he's in it. I don't know what to call it. I just know I'm I'm a part of it in that way. And I know that one day when I was driving up to this campus right in December when we were finishing the building, he said, you're finishing this campus. He said, see, look at these buildings, great. He said, if I raised those buildings to the earth today, my people would scatter. It's still too much about a place for us. But he said, in five years, what I'm going to do in the people of God, that won't be so. He has nothing against buildings. He gave this place to us. I am grateful that we have stayed in it and we've seen the provision of the Lord to this place and beyond. But the place isn't where it's at. The people is where it's at. And in five years, what God's going to do in us, we won't be shaken when the places change. I don't know what to name it. I don't know what to call it. Just those are, those are little glimpses that the Lord's shown me. Be in prayer. 
about the new things that God is doing in your life. And you know, in, in this time, you know, as I was preparing for this message, we're just going to go to the end. Jared, can you help me out? As I was preparing this message about ministry moving out and going to the streets, I'm not talking about setting up a boom box on farmer's market and shouting about, you know, the end of the world is coming. I'm not talking about that kind of street ministry. I'm just telling you, when I say the streets, I'm just talking about any place other than the safe place at church. It's the places where we live and work and walk and shop and have friends and family. It's the place where all the people around us live and work and walk. When I was preparing this, I want to be totally vulnerable here in saying that I desperately need the power of God. That there is no shortage of street ministry awaiting me. Even yesterday, Saturday, four things happened. One, we found out a close relative of ours has a very aggressive cancer. Close friends of ours had a miscarriage. Some the different close friends. Different close friends, their child had a severe seizure and hadn't had one in two years, thought they were past it. And another close friend family, their child has an, an immunodeficiency problem and had been waiting for treatment that the doctors have recommended and the insurance company denied it for a third and final time. I don't want to say it's final, just to, you know, and it's like, I find out all four of these things. We're getting them, you know, blow after blow all day. And I'm thinking, Lord, if I, I was tempted to go be discouraged and afraid and scared. But in the preparation for this message, I want to say, I need this more than all y'all. I need this. I need the power of God to flow through me to my friends and my family. Yes, that place, that route goes through the upper room, but it didn't end there. The upper room is my launching pad, not my destination. The upper room is your launching pad and not your destination. So if that's you this morning, like me, if you really have no shortage of street ministry awaiting you, let's stand and worship him together. I'm gonna sing just a song that we kind of went through and this will be the last thing we do and uh, will dismiss us. But this is a song that just in preparation for this, um, in preparation for this message series that I believe the Lord gave me. It's a simple song. 
And it uh, simply says, Lord, we worship you. Now we lift your holy name. Lord, we wish worship you. Send your all-consuming flame. We need your presence, Lord, as we sing with one accord of your glory, Lord. Hallelujah. It's just a simple chorus. And I believe as we lift our voices together that he will fill us with fresh fire today, that he will allow us and shift our thinking to, a, to the promise that we need to face and allow him to do that work in us so that we can see ministry move out. Are you with me? Well, show me a smile or something. Let's sing together.
if you need prayer.